Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Excuse me, the Sports Ethos presentation. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Pretty simple. S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S or um, online sportsethos.com. Again, great coverage, variety of teams, multitude of sports, not just, of course, the real world application, but also the fantasy perspective on many of these sports. So, and the betting side as well. So you're definitely doing yourself a disservice if you're not checking that out. Please do again on Twitter, sports ethos, on Twitter at sports ethos, online sportsethos.com. Also, in addition to that, Please, y'all, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I appreciate any feedback, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. I really don't care. All of it helps me to improve. That is the goal, and that's what we're going to do on this show. So definitely make sure to do that. And I got one more thing here for y'all. Um, Manscaped's back, baby. Just like the NBA's been back, so Manscaped. It's only getting to the top, to, to the midway point of the season for both, all right? You got the All-Star game coming up. Manscaped has a little All-Star deal for you. Just use the coupon code hoopball twenty. That's H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, HoopBall20, to get 20% off plus free shipping on your purchase at manscaped.com. Make sure to take advantage of that, especially now, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. That's all I'm going to say. HoopBall20, get your Manscaped 20% off. All right, so today, or today, today as y'all listen, as I record, I'm looking forward to just having another fun conversation, talking about some teams that, for better or worse, are interesting. And I'm doing this with my friend, Anna Rude. You can find him here um, on the pod. Uh, if you're close enough to a friend as I am, maybe you'll be fortunate to get his number in exchange for basketball takes. Otherwise, you have to take it here. But it's a great privilege of mine to have him on here today with Roundball Ramble. Anna Rude, how you doing, bro? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing okay, considering, you know, been kind of in and out, um, kind of sick. COVID's obviously not been kind. I know you talked about that recently um, this past month with yourself. And, and weirdly enough, during the nighttime, it's actually worse. Like, Oh, yeah. Same thing for me. Oh, my god! In the gosh. mornings, I, was, I was, felt great. And then right around, like, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock starts, I could feel it. Yep, exactly. So right now, like, I'm getting the pain, like, body pain, usually in the back and the neck. Um, so far my throat's been fine, but usually that'll start filling up. It's been pretty rough the last, like I've been trying to do some podcasting the last like couple days now, but I've been sick for the last like week and a half. And it's like, well, even I, I want to make sure I'm not like, obviously making the quality of my work kind of be diminished because I'm not able to do it. But at the same time, like I'm driving myself crazy to sitting, you know, in a house all day, not doing anything. But yeah, nighttime, which is usually the best time for me to record, is always bad. So hoping to power through on this one and have a good one, bro. But um, aside from that, man, just taking in a lot of basketball. It's been like the one positive of this whole uh, horrific experience. <laughs> yeah, there have been some pretty good games. So at least in the last couple of weeks, there have been some uh, questionable ones too. But the good games have been fun. You know what? You said the best. The good games have indeed been fun. So um. With that, let's kind of go into it. Let's start. We already said we're just going to make a nice casual conversation on what we've been watching. We've both been watching a lot of basketball, both trying to figure out um, kind of what we're into in terms of not what we're into, both trying to figure out, like, making sense of certain teams, given their situation, um, obviously context. The Lakers, you know, benching Russell Westbrook with the final three minutes of the game. Does that mean something, nothing, or everything? You know, the the Mavericks, like you said, improving their defense. Like, what's that about? So we're just kind of going to go in team by team uh, for a few things that interest us. And we're going to start with you. So uh, what you got going on? What was the first team that caught your eye these past couple of weeks here? 
So as the resident Mavs fan, I think it's only fair to start with the Mavs. Um, but I think they're genuinely intriguing, not because they're suddenly good again, but it's more that the way they're doing it is very different than what people expect. So for the last two years, the Mavs have been this offensive force who entire goal was just to outscore you. They wouldn't defend. They were the team that like opposing role players would come in and get career highs in. Yeah, like, you always have one of those. Play the Warriors, <laughs> Kelly Oubre would like score 40 on us. Wow. But that's, that's what the Mavs were. They were a defensive liability and offensively they were good. Mm-hmm. And this year, Jason Kidd comes in and yeah, everyone's saying, oh, he wants to improve the defense. Well, yeah, we're Carlos said the same thing. And it's not like it really changed much, but, and you could tell early in the year, like they were definitely trying out in a new scheme and they were trying harder. They just weren't that good. Mm-hmm. But there was that Pacers game back in December where Luca goes down with an ankle injury. They lose that game. And then that's when he goes into COVID immediately after that. And the team starts signing a bunch of random guys, Charlie Brown, uh, some old bets, IT, Brandon Knight, and, and the whole COVID thing's going on. And you kind of expect that the team's going to take a bad turn, but no, they actually turned the corner. They went five and five without Luca and a lot of their key guys. And they've been red hot and it's been all defense. Like their offense is middle of the pack and Luca hasn't been that good at getting his shots, but they've been a defensive juggernaut right now. And the thing is, they don't have some all-defense caliber player. It's not like they have an AD or Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green. They have KP and a bunch of solid role players. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing for me. And I wanted to look into it, like, see, okay, why is their defense working? Because obviously you can look at it and say, like, okay, numerically their defense is good, but maybe there's a bunch of shooting luck or anything. Like with the Nets, for instance, their defense looks really good on paper, but there's a lot of shooting like going on. Yeah, something. Yeah, true. I went through the Mavericks, and I think there's a little bit of shooting luck, but it's not crazy. So the whole point of the new scheme is basically like, okay, your bigs are going to be a lot higher towards the screen. They're going to be showing a lot more, shrink the floor, and then just being – a lot better at rotating so that you protect the paint and just shrink the floor. They're not worrying too much about outside shots. So like they're pre-rotating a lot more to try to take away the uh, offense's primary option and force them into that kind of next option or the next play. And they're double teaming a little more, but when they are double teaming, their backline rotations have been pretty solid. And in general, like your defense went from being like this, we're just going to react to whatever you're doing. And now they're defense that actually kind of forces the opponents into bad shots and like the data backs it up too. So they've been um, one of the best in terms of opponent shot quality. So they're forcing the right kind of shots. Uh, last year, they were one of the worst teams at defending the pick and roll. Uh, Dane Lillard can tell you all about that. <laughs> he, I still run that bubble game where you drop like 50 on a, It was crazy. And the Mavs couldn't do anything. And this year they, they're pretty good. Uh, last year when you had help defenders on your opponent's drives who were last in the NBA, 
this year in their middle of the pack. Uh, among players who at least defended 100 drives, KP's number 10 and Maxi Kleber's 17th. So those two have been really good at that. And KP has been a really good weak side help defender. Last year was kind of a down year for him, but this year he's been genuinely one of the best room protectors. And in the entire league, he's ranked number four right now in terms of opponent effective field goal percentage at the rim. Uh, the top five are Giannis, JaVale. Um, yeah, I think Suns need to rethink signing Aiton. I think JaVale McGee is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared Jackson Jr., KP, and Rudy Gobert. So that's some elite company. And even the two big lineups, which have been a sore spot for many Mavs fans, um, where you have KP at the power forward. But on defense, they're actually working out pretty well because you have Kleba and Powell who are both kind of mobile enough so that you, they can afford to be a little more aggressive in their pick-and-roll coverage. Yeah. And KP usually ends up getting the easier defensive assignment so he can just roll and protect the paint. And they've added a little more length, so you have guys like Dorian Finney smith Josh Green, who can just be these mobile wing protectors who can move a lot better. And they're rebounding a lot better with all that size. They're third right now in defense of rebounding. And the big thing is everyone's just buying in. Like you, Jalen Brunson, small guy who isn't really known for that. A defender. Yeah. And he's just, he's an amazing charge taker. Like he's becoming Kyle Lowry at this point, just constantly pissing off the opponent and being in the right spot. And even if it's not a charge, like he's orchestrating it, trying to be in the right spot and he has good hands. Luke is doing the same thing, just constantly. We know Luca's never going to be an elite defender. He's not going to be this two-way player. But with his size, he can still be a solid defender, at least neutral, and that's what he's been doing this year. That's true. That's true. I mean, I like the fact that you even said that they're getting um, impact. They're not getting impact. They're getting um, contributions from those who you don't normally look at as defensive pieces at all. I mean, I don't look at Jalen Brunson. I think he's like someone who can like do his best to, to capably defend his position. But I don't look at him as someone who's like very good at that. And you've mentioned the impact he's been having on that end as well. Yeah, and it's like it's a buy-in thing where let's be honest, like if your best player is if Luca was to just give up on defense, mm-hmm. I don't think many people would criticize him just because he's such a good offensive player. Your star player kind of gets that privilege. But when you have your star player playing defense and playing really hard on defense, it just makes everyone else feel like they have to step it up too. And that's what's been going on with this team. That's true. That's true. I I, I, I like that you brought that up. I like the fact that I've not been aware of their defense uh, specifically and that you brought some really good nuggets um, <laughs> about how well they played um, on that in the floor. And speaking of nuggets, I actually want to kind of transition and talk a little bit about the Denver Nuggets, um, who, you know, they just recently lost. I'm recording this on the night of the 21st, um, probably dropping this when you listen to this either over the weekend or Monday. But the point being is that they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies, um, 122 to 118. And um, it, the reason I'm bringing this up is the offense for the Nuggets was kind of rough. Like it was here and there. It was definitely a game of runs. Um but I just feel like Jokic is still having to do way too much. Um, you know, the guy had to turn it up in the third quarter for the second straight game, had near triple-double after three quarters of action, 22 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. The Nuggets needed everything that Jokic had to provide. He ultimately finished with 26 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds. And get this, 
40 minutes of action. It was kind of crazy. Um, and this is this was just showing how bad it was. They didn't get a lot of help um, from the bench at all. Uh, Bryn Forbes made his Nuggets debut. Um, he knocked down two of his first three shots, but after that, he struggled in the next uh, three quarters and only finished uh, with nine points on 4-13 shooting. Uh, Zeke Naji had eight points, um, but those two literally combined for all 15 of Denver's second unit points because Bones Highland and Fukungo Capazzo uh, just couldn't get it going. And speaking of Capazzo, over his last 22 games, he's shooting 34.2% from the field, but still playing over 24.8 minutes per game. Shout out to at Bronco Squatch for that stat. The last Denver Nugget besides Faku to shoot that poorly but still get as many total minutes over any 22-game span was Emmanuel Moody in the 2015-2016 season. If y'all remember Emmanuel Moody that year, he was not. I mean, he's not a good offensive player now, but I think he's more in line with the strengths then. But back then, he was taking a lot of shots and just not making them. So I think my concern for Denver comes to a, a lack of consistent offensive production from night to night, aside from Nicole Jokic. I mean, they did bring in a course the aforementioned Bryn Forbes. They did bring in Marcus Cousins. So, you know, Jeff Green's had his moments as well during this season. Um, like, they have guys that I guess you look at, um, Will Barton, of course, and you go, okay, like, your offense should be just enough. I'm not saying that this is like biting stretch, like an electric, you know, just fiery offensive attack, but at least should be better than what it is. And right now, in a troubling trend over the last couple of games, that's not what we're seeing here. You know, their shooting splits have not been great. Um, the numbers that are coming from the perimeter guys outside of Jokic aren't super great. I mean, Aaron Gordon's not a, a knockdown marksman anyway, and he actually had a decent game, uh, 16 points, six rebounds, nine assists, but on four of 11 shooting, you know, uh, Will Barton had a decent game as well, uh, 27 points to lead the Nuggets. But aside from that, you can't just beat Barton, Jokic, and whatever you get from the combination of Jeff Green and Aaron Gordon. That's not going to be enough consistently, despite how great Nicole Jokic has been. Yeah, with Jokic on the floor, the Nuggets have the best point differential in the NBA. And without him, they have the worst. So wow, it, Jokic that's a is lot. kind of their entire team at this point. <laughs> and it's kind of what happens when you don't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. Like, this team is really bare of just creation outside of Jokic. Like, Will Barton can do a little bit, but he's not that guy that you really want creating. No, not Aaron really. Gordon. Um, we've seen that what he does on the magic for the last like four years, if he tries to create, so you don't want him doing that. And a lot of their guys are just being forced to be creators. And unfortunately, none of them really have that skill set. Like even Bones Highland Bones is a guy who wants to get his own, uh, get his own shot. He's not really looking to make plays for other people. Um, Facundo Capazzo, great playmaker, but he's kind of like Rondo. No one cares about his offense. It's more just, He's going to pass. So this team is just really struggling to find anything when Jokic sits. But also, even with Jokic, like, you can just double him. And nine times out of ten, it's like they're going to miss. So it doesn't matter if he kicks it out to someone. And uh unfortunately, there's just – the answer is bring back Murray and Michael Porter. But we know why they're out. Exactly. Is there anything you think they can do to, like, paper over? Obviously, you're not going to get 
offensive gold mines off the scrap heap. I'm not saying that. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of talented scores in the G League, of course, free agents who want to come in, but while also just not being complete non-entities on the defensive end. You know, you're looking at Murray and, and Porter Jr. possibly being out for the whole year. I guess there's some talk that they could come back, but that's not at all a, a given. Um, so you are looking, again, at, I mean, a lot of guys who are not – scores in that sense having to do a ton on that end i mean of your nugget scores right now of course Jokic having 25 13 and 7 after that will barton at 15 per game aaron Gordon at 14 monte morris at 12 and jeff green gives you 10 and those last three guys you know gordon morris and green are, are kind of hot and cold in terms of their point production you know i wouldn't see you always get a 10 points from jeff green you get like a solid i'd say eight to ten points and sometimes like a really good 34 point performance you know aaron gordon's sort of the same thing although i guess he's more consistent in that way but um you're not getting like you said great like consistent shooting slash scoring from these guys with the exception of will Barton, who's fine but you don't really want the ball in his hands like you said the entire time i mean by his standards like over his career this um this year will be tied with his age 27 for um 27 year for the most assists he's had uh in a season for a game like that's not really his game you know what i mean he's someone who's trying to get a bucket um and the funny thing about this as well is that this would also be for as much as we look at barton as a bucket maker this would also be tied well actually just behind that age 27 season again as the most points he's averaged in a season so that I mean, a lot of these guys, I think Nuggets wise, are kind of overextending themselves here a little bit. Yeah, this just wasn't the role they were built for. Like last year, we saw it where once you have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon could just be this cutter who moves off the ball, sets screens, and just is this dynamic lob threat. Yeah, occasionally make, stick a three. Yeah, occasionally be a spot up shooter or be a short roll passer. Like, that was his role, just not being this on-ball creator all the time. Mm-hmm. But right now, he's being forced to be that creator. Uh, so yeah. he's Will Barton. He just, he wouldn't have to be that. So I don't know. It depends on like what the Nuggets want to do. If they really want to try going for it and actually like try to make a push for the playoffs, mm-hmm. I would look into maybe trying to trade for someone like Eric Gordon, just another shooter who can create a little bit and is a gritty defender. But if I'm them, like, I don't know what the Jamal Murray situation is. If they think he can come back and they're comfortable with that, then I'd be more inclined to make a move like that. Otherwise, I kind of just take a step back this year and say, like, hey, let's give it – let's give Bones Highland some more run. Let's let Monty Morris run a little bit more and just let the young guys play a little bit and just see what you can do and what these pieces are. Because eventually you're, you are going to need to consolidate some of them. So better – just showcase them a little bit right now. I'm with that. If you think that happens, are you saying that I guess, I mean, obviously we don't expect a huge, like super deep playoff run for them. So we're kind of saying they kind of concede this year, like go to the playoffs, second exit, make it what it is going to be, but like really try to give more confidence and more um, of a, of a chance for these guys to kind of soak up some minutes. Or do you think that the Nuggets should kind of do something come trade deadline, whether it's looking at someone like a Justin Holiday or Robert Covington or, or even somebody I think they should look at for offensive punch, although he hasn't had a super great offensive year, and a Terrence Ross? Yeah, like, I think it depends on, like, Jamal Murray. So if they think Jamal Murray is going to come back and they're comfortable, then I'd trade for those guys. Um, I think Justin Holiday is ex- expiring, so I wouldn't mind trading for him anyway. Mm-hmm. But in general, it's like, if you think 
Jamal Murray is going to come back and be some semblance of himself, then yeah, go push, make a push for it. The race is still wide open. Um, so I would be fine with that. But if they know something, if they're not sure about Jamal Murray or what he's going to be, then I just look to take a step back like Jokic. My other worry is like, if you overburden him right now throughout the season, what's he going to be in the playoffs? Is it just going to be worse? Cause we saw it in that Portland series. He had to do everything just for them to survive. And then when he got, by the time he got to the Suns, he's exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing left. I mean, the guy was literally the gas in the tank of this Nuggets team for the duration of the season, just to get them that point. So yeah, now you're, you're running on fumes. No one else has still stepped up in his, in his absence or to take off his, um, to take off his um what is it called to take off his um like load so you still have these issues i don't know i think it's gonna be very interesting to kind of see where they go um and what moves the nuggets make it the trade deadline but i am concerned about that the load that Jokic does have to carry and whether or not um that could be less than some point without just having to rely on you know the return of michael porter jr and um of course, Jamal Murray sometime in the 2022-2023 season. Yeah. We'll but see how it goes. The uh-huh. thing about the Nuggets is we just kind of know what they are at this point. There's not much left to do. It's just hope that your guys come back. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's, you said, that's the bottom line there. But um, alongside, along from that, let's go to your next team and see what you want to go from. Are you ready to do the Lakers or do you want to wait? Oh, my gosh. Listen, if you want to get into them, let's get into them. Um, you know what? Let's do the, Let's do your next team, and then we can both do the Lakers. So the Lakers are on my list, too, so we'll do that one as a tandem. Okay. Uh, that's fine. Um, want to talk about the Celtics? <laughs> now, now you're talking my alley. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So uh-huh. this team's okay defensively. Their offense just yes, bad. their offense is ugly. I mean, for one, it's isolation heavy. It's it's either isolation for Jason Taylor, isolation for Jalen Brown, isolation for Dennis Schroeder, and then occasionally when there's no other options and you're looking at a shot clock violation or shooting over five people, then they'll make a pass. Dennis Schroeder more likely than the other two, but the point being, it's it's not it's not cool. Like I was watching the game against the Pelicans, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like when it's on, it's still not pretty to watch. But like, okay, it shows the one-on-one greatness and the shot making of their two wings, and the fact that Dennis Schroeder can still get to the lane and is an okay shooter. But like, aside from that, I mean, like Grant Williams, Al Horford, they're just there. You know what I mean? For the most part, um, you could say the same thing for Time Lord. You know, their bench has not been, I think, given the type of encouragement needed to be um, a, a, a actual like rotation level play with the confidence and shot making ability because they are not living up to the hype they had when they were drafted for the Celtics team. I think some of that's a lack of confidence that that has been attributed to them on this squad with their role on this roster. I just haven't been a fan of anything that's been going on there. Like, uh, Emei Doku definitely has been throwing guys on the bus. I feel like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have had some tension in terms of how they played. They have not been good passers. I think Doku was trying to, like, make them be good passers. That's not going to happen. I think that some guys just aren't that way and they seem like they're very much tunnel vision first second and third choices all to shoot and that's unfortunate but yeah you're right it makes the offense just very very hard to um 
come to grips with in terms of looking at this team and saying, you know what, this is a team I could see in the second round or of the playoffs. I definitely don't see them in the conference finals. And I really, honestly, barely see them getting out the first round. I think it's going to be first round fodder again. So if I were to ask you who you think their best playmaker is, what would be your answer? Yeah, Schroeder. I, and, I, and that's saying and that's saying a lot because I never ever look at Dennis Schroeder from back when he was with the Hawks, of course the Thunder, of course the Lakers. I don't look at Dennis Schroeder as a good playmaker. I think it's from seeing him miss countless lobs <laughs> over and over and over to um <laughs> to uh Anthony Davis last year with the Lakers. But like Dennis Schroeder, I think will get you like at least numbers wise four to five assists a game. I think he can make plays out the pick and roll. He's looking out the pick and roll to really come up firing, but he can do that. Um, but he would be the guy I look at as the best playmaker on this roster. I'm looking back just to make sure I'm not getting anything like any guy I'm obviously missing. But if, if not him, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart to me is more of a wing than a point guard. And yeah, that's kind of it. What do you think? I was going to go with the bigs, Al Horford and Robert Williams. Like I genuinely think they're the that's, best playmakers. Yeah. That's true. I can't overlook them. You're right about that, especially from the elbows, both those guys. I just, I guess I'll look at it like that because they're not being played that way. Like, you know what I mean? They're not. They're yeah, not, and I know uh, that was my point is that, like, I think those two are the best playmakers on this team, but they're not running their offense through them. No. Until occasionally, I think they did it one game where I can't remember who it was against, but Robert Williams just looked fantastic. He was running things through the elbow and it was perfect. And then so, they went away from it the next game. I was going to say, so like, of course they had to switch doing? it up. Yeah. That's you an interesting found gold, and you're ignoring it. <laughs> but, okay, so in that in that vein, here's my, my question to you. Do you think – I mean, obviously, you have to lay some of that at the head of, of Coach Odoku, right? But do you also think that maybe the wings, specifically Brown and Tatum, weren't comfortable with that or didn't want to do it that way? Like I want to, I'm wondering why they would make such a market departure from a style of working well to kind of go back to the isocentric style that they have, unless of course the star players prefer that route. I mean, obviously it's not going to come out publicly, but I, I have a feeling that's why it's not happening. Yeah. Um, like even Brad Stevens would do that with like Gordon Hayward or when he had Al Horford before, he would do it with through him. So it's not like Brad's an idiot and doesn't know what he's doing. He knows, and I'm pretty sure he's telling Emei Duncan to do it, but if your lead scorers and your star players are both guys who are ISO-heavy and kind of just score first, it's hard to play a different style. And when it comes to the young guys, like, I know Celtics fans are upset that they traded away Desmond Bain, but if we're being honest, like let's say they kept him, would Desmond Bain still be the same player? I don't think so. I don't because in Memphis he he got the freedom to try out new things, be more than just a spot up guy. In summer league, like, they let him be this on ball creator, and it's been working wonders for them because when Jaws out, he gets to expand his game a little bit. And I think for the Celtics guys, you're seeing guys like Aaron Neesmith, who's supposed to be this movement shooter. Well, when your stars are just isoing, there's no need for you to even try moving off the ball because you're not going to get it. So a lot of these players, I just think their skills aren't being developed anyway when they're in games. And when all you do is just spot up, and if you miss, 
it just makes it much worse on you and it ruins your confidence. So I think they need to, if they really want to, they have all these young guys on the roster. I think they need to really start thinking about like, how do we start engaging them? Because unless they look like, even if you want to trade them, like there's not much value in any of those guys right now, just because they haven't played that well. I think it was a mistake letting go of Hayward. Hayward was the kind of guy you need. So if you look at the bulls, they have, uh, Levine and DeRozan, two guys who are score first, although DeRozan has become a much better playmaker, but in general, yeah. there are these two wings who are very score first. So how do you alleviate that? One, you bring in Busevich, who you can run your offense through pretty comfortably. He's a good playmaker. <laughs> and then you bring this passive, pass first point guard, Alonzo. So obviously Alonzo would be a perfect fit, in Boston, but even a guy like Ricky Rubio, I think would be great there. Just someone whose job it is to set everything up because a table setter. If you're, all you're going to do is let Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown run side ISOs over and over again, your offense is predictable and it's a waste of time. Unless their shots are falling, their offense is useless. I agree. And I, I guess, I mean, Here's the thing, though. There's so much more, I think, wrong. I mean, you've we've kind of put the nail on the head in terms of the dysfunctional offense. But even when when they're when they're cold, they, they lost. Well, I was recording this tonight. Um, they lost to the Blazers, 109-105. They failed to make a field goal in the final seven minutes of the game. And uh, unrelated note, but also related, Jason Tatum has now missed 20 consecutive three pointers. Like, wow. You know what I mean? The last field goal Boston made came with 7-19 left in the game. Peyton Pritchard nailed a three off of, like you said, an assist from Al Horford. That gave the Celtics a nine-point lead, put them on an 11-0 run to tie it. Jalen Brown and Jason Tan combined made five free throws over the remainder of the game, but that was literally it. And this scoring drought was for the third time in the past 25 years the Celtics failed to make a field goal over the final seven minutes of the game. The last time this happened was in 2010 against OKC. Like... I don't understand it. And even Coach Odoku, I don't know why I keep saying Odoku. I mean, to say Odoka, but he keeps saying, and it's like some of it goes does come to coaching, some of this goes down to playing. But I think as a coach, you know, like when to kind of assign the blame and when to temper it back. He always has to throw the players in there as well. He's like, disappointment. Coaching staff as well as players, obviously. We had turned somewhat of a corner lately in fourth quarters. It felt like we took a step back. And it's true. Like, this was cold. This was a cold game. And when you're doing so much from isolation, it makes your looks tougher. And if you look at Tatum, just specifically over the month of January, he's shooting 26% from deep. And on the season, shooting a career where it's 31% from downtown. That is just better than Russell Westbrook. Like, it's not great. And like you said, a lot of this comes down to shooting stones, but they're not being helped because you're not getting freed for easy looks. Like, it's not saying, okay, you know, next game, let's park, um, let's do split cuts, you know, uh, from elbow plays off from Horford. You know what I mean? Like there's no ways that the Celtics are trying to manufacture good looks for these guys. All right, we'll try again next game. Let's see what happens. You know, maybe the ISO shots will start going down. Um, I look at this Boston team right now, right now, only 3.5 games separate them in number six, Philadelphia, which is where the Celtics need to get obviously to avoid the playing tournament. And they do have the fifth ranked defense, which has helped them enough, but I see them in the playing team. I think they'll continue to slide um, because I do agree with you. Like the offense is kind of a, a, a problem and it's not just a problem because of the fact that when it's not working it's not working but it's also a problem because it's not exactly building morale these guys out there know that hey i'm just gonna be rebounding the ball you know what i mean or hey let me shoot the ball when i get it because who knows if i'll get it again you know like it's it just it's a lot going on that i think is unfortunate but 
I, I don't know. It's just it's it's a it's a it's a mess. Yeah, I think like the the archetype of player that Tatum is is in general just like a hard one to run your offense through. Like the one guy who really makes it work is Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant's an alien. Like his efficiency makes no sense at all. And Tatum is not Kevin Durant. So if you're a scoring wing who's not a good playmaker, and to be fair, Kevin Durant's a lot better than he was mm-hmm. uh, back in OKC, and especially with the Warriors. Like he's a much better playmaker, but he's still not a LeBron James. He's not a James Harden. He's not this lead playmaker, but he's good enough. But you're more comfortable running that ISO style for him because he's really efficient at it. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't elite isolation players by any stretch. So running an ISO heavy offense for them is just doubling down on something that's not that good. And if you're a young guy, like let's say you're Aaron Smith or Romeo Lakeford, whoever, and you hustle and you play good defense mm-hmm. and you're able to get a steal, you immediately throw to Jason Tatum. And the first thing he does once he gets to three point line is take a step back three. That, that would piss you off. Because, yeah, it really would. <laughs> like, I did all this work, and the first thing you're going to do is just going to shoot it. We're not even going to like try running something. And in general, it's just like your best players have to be more willing to either, either you have to be good enough to where like no one can, can say anything back to you. A la Kevin Durant, even James Harden. Like James Harden was an elite isolation scorer. So all the times he got criticized for being this ISO heavy player, at least it was working. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are not James Harden. They're not no. Kevin Durant. They're not these elite isolation players that you're you can afford giving them all these isolations to. Mm-hmm. You need a lead playmaker. Uh Hayward would have been great. Lonzo Ball would have been great. Ricky Rubio, just any of these like pass first guys who can be on ball or off the ball. Yeah. Yeah. You said it just, and I guess I, I go the same way that I went before when I asked you about um, when we were just talking about teams in the past um, here, where are, it's weird. I feel like every time I bring up a squad, I'm going to have to ask this question, but like, just like Denver, can Boston make a move during this trade deadline season to rectify this? Who would you look for them to target? Are we looking for a guy out the bottom market? Are we looking for, you know, like you said, a player like Ricky Rubio would have been perfect, you know? Um, except we, you know, unfortunately, that's, that's no longer a possibility. Uh, like, what kind of pass first kind of floor setting guard are we looking for? And not like, I, I don't want to say floor setting is and like can't score, but like also not out for Peyton or something like that. You know what I mean? Like someone easily attainable that's going to help them out. So one of the things I was thinking about was a Marcus Smart for Joe Ingles swap. Uh, I think it solves issues on both teams. So for Celtics, you get a guy who's to pass first, can score, who's an elite shooter, who can play on or off the ball, and he's still a really good pick and roll player, and he's got size and he has that old man strength to raise out a liability on defense. And for Utah, you get a point of attack defender, mm-hmm. which I will go on a rant if I hear one more time that Gobert <laughs> needs to, is not a good defender because he can't defend the perimeter. Like, he gets no. put off the floor. You see this. 
I, every time I hear that Gobert is not worthy of being a defensive player of the year because he can't guard, he gets abused and he gets played off the floor. It's like, no, he doesn't get played off the floor. Everyone else on the Jazz can't do anything on defense other than Royce O'Neal, and he's undersized. Gobert is not Kevin Garnett, who can move in all directions and just be this one-man defense. There's a limit to what you can do. Yeah, exactly. And I, I listen, I think that Gobert, I will say I've thought that Gobert in the past has and continues to sometimes be overrated. However, I also agree with you. Like, the magic that Kevin Garnett had on the defensive end is not to just be applied to everybody. You know, um, least of all, Rudy Gobert, all due respect to him. And with that being said, you're right. Like, you can't lay all that at the feet of him for the inability of anyone else, literally anyone else on the Utah Jazz to defend. Yeah, I, I don't want to go down the path of the Jazz. I'm, I'm just I'm <laughs> that. I feel you. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but yeah, with the Celtics, I think a move like that where you trade for smart or Joe Ingles, I think would be an interesting idea. Um, but if you lose Marcus Smart, who's kind of like your leader, what happens to the team? Because he's the one guy who's not been afraid to call anyone out when they screw up. And I, I think a kind of, you need a guy like that on every team. So if you lose him, are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum going to be have someone to fight back against them, or will they be the guys who can step up and be that leader? I, 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 I don't know. The very, I guess the very sound that because I'm not sure. I mean, what do you? I mean, like, is that one available? I guess right. Like, is that? player out there that can come in demand the the, the respect of the locker room and still perform the assigned duties that this team needs i think ultimately like we say passing and we say you know getting the ball worked around and being part of a unit but honestly i think they need leadership and it's, it's not a, a knock on tatum or brown to say they're not good leaders but like i don't think that they are yeah you want to you want to do a russell westbrook trade to the celtics you know what? If you could put the framework to that, absolutely. <laughs> that would be the leader that he they want. They know Russ wakes up around this time of the season, especially with an underwhelming roster. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, I think I think speaking of Russ, it's probably time to have that conversation on it. Let's I'll talk just later. let you start off. Just we, oh. this will be our therapy session for you. Just oh, unload okay. everything. I appreciate this, but okay. So here we go. I think I'm in a better mood as of right now. Um, the Lakers having beaten the Orlando Magic, which I really shouldn't be saying. This should be like a, a custom. The Magic or what eight and thirty six or something. Like this should be something that that should be a given, but it's not. Um, were this a? Uh, I'm trying to find the word I want to say. Basically, we're recording this two days earlier my emotions would be a lot more on edge. I'd be a lot more frustrated, convinced that Frank Vogel would be fired and that Russ honestly just was not going to make a difference on this team. And I bemoan the fact that he was always a square peg in a round hole that's been unjustly criticized and forced to be something more than he's ever shown in his 14 years. And that's still a very good player. Um, it would be a lot more frustration. Right now it is not that, but I guess that's the life of the Lakers fan in that, 
your your mood changes as the team does, you know, as the wins come and go. And right now you're looking at a 500 team. I feel like a 500 fan, you know, like I just don't understand. I do, but I don't how we thought that Frank Vogel would be the issue when he missed six games. And in that duration, um, interim coach um, David Fisdo came in and went one and five, you know, like it, it, defensively, it's not on the coach to make this work in as much as Vogel's had blame on. Like, yes, Vogel has made some dumb decisions. You know, he had Rondo and Westbrook together for stretches when there was absolutely no need to play those two in the backcourt ever with better options available. He was dedicated to DJ um, to a fault when it was very obvious the guy was running on fumes in terms of his contribution on that end. You know, his his rotation was always... Don't tell Kurt Rambis that. Oh, my God. You can play Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan at the same time. It, it, it's it, it, and this is why Kurt Rambis is. Oh, I have thoughts. Kurt Rambis is not. Uh, he's just not a good coach. He's just. I. I don't understand what in coach in, in, in Kurt Rambis's post NBA playing career has led people to think that he is um a a basketball mind to the degree of oh let's let this guy run our franchise in any capacity as a player or executive like. That is not what I've seen in any of his stops with the Lakers um, beforehand with the Knicks. And now again, back with the Lakers, like I just haven't seen it. So I'm not sure where, where this, this, this power that he has is, even if we look at his wife, Linda Rambis, as her having the power. That's fine. Kurt can be somewhere alongside that, but doesn't mean that Kurt assumes it, but going aside from that, don't even get me started on that on a route. I'm so annoyed by that, but basically going back to Vogel, like, yes, he's not made the smartest of coaching decisions in the past. Like that's like, he hasn't, it just isn't been a thing. However, like he's also not the one that tells Russell Westbrook to die on every screen. You know, he's also not the one that has LeBron putting together superhuman offensive efforts, but indifferent at best defensive efforts. You know, he's not the guy that's had injuries racked up and down the roster, still not having the service of Kendrick Nunn, not having AD for a large part of the year, not having um, Trevor Reza for 30 plus games this season. Like there's been injuries that peppered this roster that he hasn't had his full complement of players. And also I might add, if he did have all these players, it would still be an identity that is counterintuitive to the way that coach Vogel likes to run a team, which is defensive minded first and foremost. And this, I think goes on the head of Rob Palenka and we've seen him now, you know, won a championship in 2020 and three years since then, he's totally remade the team. Won a championship in 2020, having a defensive minded unit with LeBron James at the helm of the offense and just enough three point shooting to make things work. Next season, no, we need additional help on the offensive end and someone to run the offense when LeBron's resting and to try to alleviate some of the pressure he has on that end. So let's bring in Dennis Schroeder. Let's bring in Montrezl Harrell. Okay. Also, let's bring in Mark Gasol. Who cares about fit? It's all 2K. We'll make it work. But then it doesn't, right? Okay. Midseason. Injuries were also a thing, by the way. Kozlo was also a thing, but we need we need more help. Let's bring in another big name. Let's bring in Andre Drummond. Despite the fact that Andre Drummond didn't fit in any way, shape, or form, let's bring him alongside. He'll play with AD. Don't worry, it's fine. He's a star. They're a star. It'll all work out. Yes, we're talking about backup center Andre Drummond for the Philadelphia 76ers right now, but it'll work out fine. It did not work out fine, right? Then this up last year, Palinka says, "Nope, let's do it again. Let's let's rewrite the books and make it happen. We're going to go all offense, double the offense, like just." totally deplete the defense we're not going to bring Alex Caruso back he can go we're going to trade every other competent defender we have um we're looking at Contavious Caldwell Pope we're looking at 
um, Kyle Kuzma. We're also going to throw in Montrezl Harrell. We're all going to do that for Russell Westbrook. Why? It'll work out. He's a star. They're a star. They'll make it work, right? Just bring in a bunch of shooting. And, and some of that was good. I do like the addition of Malik Monk. I like the idea of bringing in a Kendrick Nunn. You know, having um, Ken Bazemore, like other guys there. Like, I didn't like the fit, but I like the idea of having shooting across the board. That hasn't realized the way it should have, with the exception of Malik Monk, who's been really, really well. I really enjoyed the way he's come on this season. But I say all this to say that Rob Palink has been the one that's constantly meddling with the team, trying to change identity each and every year. And in this case, poor Vogel, who has not been the greatest of coaches, but has been one of the more successful ones in recent memory for the Lakers, has had to foot the bill and the pressure and the blame for how this works out. And it's unfortunate that is the case, but it is. And and so looking at all that, I just, I, I don't know. I'm annoyed that we constantly have to deal with this. But at the same time, I, I guess it comes with the territory of the Lakers. But, like, I don't see how this gets fixed because uh, short of Rob Palenka firing himself or, you know, firing um, Vogel and then having, you know, whatever scapegoat coach after that and then pressure going on his head, I'm just not sure how we look and rectify this issue. Um, I don't know what they do during the trade deadline because – has been mocked and joked relentlessly, as everyone's done to me. Like, you have Taylor Horn Tucker, who has been, you know, at best inconsistent, at worst, a 25% three-point shooter who's had games that of, 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 I would say, varying effectiveness. You have Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played all year and has a player option for next season. They have a 2027 first-round pick, and as the joke's been commonly said, that person is probably in the eighth grade right now. So you have a lot of issues there in terms of, that being a package for someone like, let's say, a Jeremy Grant or, I don't know, a John Hollins. I'm throwing out examples just to show how ludicrous this idea that this package would get those players when in a, in a, in a trade market where you have a lot of buyers and very little sellers, that that even competes with even the mid-tier trade packages, much less the upper echelon tier of trade. So I, I guess I'm doing like a four-minute eulogy of the Lakers even as I'm still hoping against all hope that AD comes back healthy that Russell Westbrook you know gets into his personal um, basketball playing calendar of right now really become one of the best players in the NBA and Lakers is rallying off like a, a 10 game win streak but I just don't see it this team just reeks of dysfunction but in the worst possible way and I really feel bad for like a LeBron who's playing amazing. I feel bad for like a Mello who's actually been adopting his role and doing just fine with that. I feel bad for a Ken Bazemore who's been out the rotation but is still doing well. Like there's a bunch of guys there that are on this roller coaster from hell for the Lakers. And it's like, it sucks, you know, but I don't know how they rectify that. Nothing's forthcoming to me right now. Yeah, the Lakers are. God, I hate watching this team. If I have to see Russell Westbrook, <laughs> you said I hate watching this team. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, I'm a huge Westbrook fan. Like, I, I love yeah. the OKC team, and I never want to like see Westbrook play terrible. But it's kind of just been part of the course. An awkward, like, I think the thing that makes it worse is just because everyone knew how bad of a fit this was going to be. From there was the some team. hope that you just had all this talent that could maybe figure it out. But even like you were saying earlier that like we still need to see what Kendrick Nunn looks like. It's like if you're relying on Kendrick Nunn at this point, you're done. Your roster is not good enough. 
No. Kendrick Nunn is a missing piece that's supposed to activate this roster. No, that's not it. Same thing with Trevor Reza. So the, the only way this team at current form is able to compete in the playoffs is AD comes back and is that defensive player of the year caliber player. Uh, he hasn't been that at all this year. So maybe it's whatever this injury is, it's just part of that. But if he comes back and is that player, Lakers have a shot, regardless of Westbrook, just because you have LeBron who's playing at his best right now, mm-hmm. and you have a top five, top ten player in AD who's a defensive monster, one of the most versatile defenders. With the whole coaching thing, like, Lakers fans who wanted to get rid of Frank Vogel, like, do you know who your assistant coaches are? David Fisdale. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's David Fisdale first and foremost. I mean, and that's the one thing that's kind of hard to look past. And by the way, we've seen an audition of a David Fisdale coach team. We saw it during the last uh, couple of games of December uh, into January. That did not look pretty. That did not look pretty at all. Okay, that day, that press conference he had, that day, like, LeBron played center for the first time. If you were, if anyone was listening to it, they would think that like Wilt Chamberlain's record was being broken or something. That's how like effusive praise he was giving LeBron. And it's like, it's cool, but y'all still suck. <laughs> Not that oh my Not God. That's big of a deal. It's like LeBron can play whatever position he wants. True. The problem is your roster sucks. And even if they want to make a move now, like Taylor Hart Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, whatever 2027 first round pick. Those are your three assets mm-hmm. that like have some value within the league because everyone else is kind of on minimum contracts. Like Carmelo, I think would help a contender, but he's on minimum. I think. Um, um, yeah, he is. Yes. Everyone with yeah. the exception of Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horn Tucker, LeBron, AD and Westbrook are on minimums. Yes, yeah, so to like even make a trade possible, like you, you have to include Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Hart Tucker, and that has to be kind of the foundation of any trade, unless you're going to move Westbrook. But who the hell is taking Westbrook right now? The Thunder are always available. You can send them back there, but you're giving up another two picks. I don't know how you're going to do that, but if you want to move Westbrook, that's the only way that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. I, I, I don't see it either. I just, I, I asked this to my last guest I had on him, Josh Earl, and for my uh, Let's Be Moose podcast. I'm going to ask you here now, is there a way the Lakers could put together a trade package for, let's say, a Christian Wood with that Taylor and Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, um, like first round pick work for that? I know that there have been talks about draft compensation potentially going to Houston, but not for Christian Wood for John Wall in exchange for Russell Westbrook, which I think is interesting, but what what are your thoughts on that? Do you really want Christian Wood? Okay, so I don't know if I want Christian Wood as much as maybe the idea of Christian Wood, but, like, he's not having a horrible season, no. Like, I think that some of his, like, immaturity and issues on that end would be lessened on a veteran team like he would be here where you need to like know your like you know your role you know what i mean um he's someone that can he's a four who loves playing the five which is perfect because then you don't have to worry about having a guy like ad who is a five who loves playing the four 
you know, it works out well. He's someone that can shoot the ball and space the floor effectively, but loves to get in the pick and roll. I think it could work having a two big lineup with guys who aren't necessarily bigs in the traditional sense. They're switchable. They could both knock down shots, or at least the idea of them being that they could both knock down shots. Um, I mean, Woods a 35% three-point shooter this year. Like, I, I do think that in a way this could work out uh, for the Lakers and that they could utilize them much more effectively than Houston has done. I'm just thinking of a low, I'm thinking of a potential quote unquote difference maker, but for like a low cost, you know, because a lot of these guys that the Lakers are looking at or that you would think would be good fit for the Lakers aren't really necessarily attainable given what they have to offer. I think Christian Wood kind of falls literally on that, on the margins in terms of like being an impact player, being a player who moves the needle and also being a guy who would come, you know, you'd have to drop an arm and a leg like for a guy averaging 17 points and 10 rebounds a game if i can get him for that package i'm not really complaining if i'm the lakers yeah i mean the fit is going to be a little awkward like ideally your best lineup is ad at the five and lebron at the four and the thing you really need is perimeter talent like your interior like the point is ad supposed to solve your issues so for the time being, like, let's just assume that AD is going to solve those issues. Because um, if he doesn't, you have a bigger problem. And, and that's AD. He's not the same player. So as for perimeter talent, like, Justin Holiday would be nice. But, like, all these guys, I feel like other teams could put together better offers. Like, you have to really like THT for this to work. And – I don't know what THT is worth on the open market. Like he's an intriguing player, but he's on a negative value contract right now. Mm-hmm. So what team, unless the team really likes him, like what's the point of taking him in? Like Honestly, sure you can send him to you could send him to the Pacers, but they're not gonna give you Miles Turner. No, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like I, I just don't I think that. Like, it's not really about Christian Wood being that great a guy. It's just like, I'm not sure you put that in the trade finder if you're playing 2K or basketball GM or something else. I don't think that the guys that Lakers are being rumored to, like, be interested in are guys that are going to pop up for what you're putting out there. Okay, 2K thinks Taylor Hart Tucker is a future all-star. Like, Well, see, that's... Uh, I have, like... I don't even play 2K. Like I have I'm a basketball GM guy myself. 2K. Uh-huh. The Lakers guys are, like, obviously juice stuff in 2K. Like, I was able to trade. Like, I tried getting Taylor Horton Tucker in a first for I think it was um, I think it was maybe Mitchell Robinson and someone else. And it's like, no, we, we need more assets in that trade. It's like, no. I'm really? giving you the better player. Yeah, yeah, He's like like assets. That's not how this works. Well, see, this is why I'm I'm more of a basketball GM player myself. I know I've talked to you about that because I am not a guy who can do. I, I'm just it, it's 2K, like you said. A lot of it, I think, is they they are realistic to a point, in my opinion, right? But at the same time, you're right. Like a lot of the Lakers guys just have a reputation, just to the Lakers and fans are going to play. Like they come to like a really crazy. Like, let's be real. Like, they, 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 they get a lot more that they're expected for. If you're trading with them, they get a lot more. It, it's a lot. It's just a lot, you know? And so that's why when I'm like, I don't know, at least, and, and that's what GMI do. It's different as well. Like, their trade thing isn't great. But, like, for example, I put 
uh, Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horn Tucker in a first round, uh, first round pick in the trade machine, right? And I was offered uh, the really ridiculous uh, return of DeAndre Ayton and Jalen Smith. Like that's not that's not happening in anyone's universe. But you are getting like more like, how about we throw you, you know, Her- Herbert Jones and Jackson Hayes, or you know, well actually I do have a funny enough a Jeremy Grant trade there, or how about. Uh, Bruce Brown and James Johnson, or can I interest you to lightly use Malik Beasley? You know, like you get some moves that are around there, but like again, like that's uh, and that's what's weird with simulation games and things of that nature is like the value of it is kind of based off of how the simulation looks at it. But you know, good and well, I'm not going to get half of those packages for those guys unless it only takes one, mind you, it only takes one team to go, hey, you know, that's the guy we're going to hitch our wagon to. At the same time, like most teams aren't like that you know what i mean like there's a certain like school of thought generally uh, among nba trade circles for negotiations of that sort is there a way to still get buddy healed from the kings with Taylor horn tucker and kendrick nunn yes there is um i was just thinking of a lakers trade that i brought up um has been on podcasts ago um but there is a way, it was a three-team trade. I remember the framework of that being where Russell would go to the Knicks. Um, there'd be like a sort of uh, package from the Knicks going to both the Kings and the Lakers, and mostly the Kings would get would give up Buddy Hield. Like that is, um, I forget the framework of the deal now, of course, but like it's still a possibility. I forgot what needs to be staggered, um, but it can still very much happen. Uh, I doubt it does, but like it could. I just think at this point, Russell Westbrook will probably be involved. Like, yeah. even if he's not going to Sacramento in whatever permutation that this is, he would have to in order to make the money work. And so that's where you have issues, obviously. Yeah, Russ is just so I have a question for you. Do you think A, he should be benched? And do you think that could help him? Who? Westbrook. So I've been thinking about this. I think that he should be benched, but I only think he should be benched when, like, let's be real. I think that he's entering the Allen Iverson stage or or Allen Iverson slash Carmelo Anthony stage of his career, where a player who's well-known for being a you know, certain type of player is reaching that kind of NBA mortality where his role is shifted and it's whether you're going to adapt to that change or be forced to adapt to that change. And I think we're kind of at the precipice of finding that out from Westbrook. So I think the easiest way to do that would be to put him in a position where if you're not helping the team win, let's say you're having just a bad shooting night or, you know, let's say that for whatever reason, um, you know, defensively you can't stay in front of your matchup, then yes, we are going to bench you um, and try to put out a unit that works better. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we're going to deploy you more situationally. And yes, that's a shot to your ego. I understand. Yes, you know, we brought you in to be a third star. Third stars don't usually sit crunch time games, but at the same time, like, we need to do this in a way that I think preserves Westbrook's, like, pride and dignity, but also puts Lakes in the best position to win. The alternative is him getting to a point where some coach or Vogel for his job says, you know what? This isn't working. We're just going to make the move we have to make we're benching you. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't do it outright because Westbrook has been, I mean, obviously he's well-liked in the locker room, LeBron and guys who have real cachet brought him in and, and want to support him in this journey, but he has been actively detrimental. So you play him in spots where 
you know, he's no longer good enough to have to deal with, okay, good Russ, okay, bad Russ, like you did when he was in OKC, you know, or in Houston or in Washington. Now bad Russ is actively bad and good Russ isn't great enough to change like it was. So in this case, yeah, I think you kind of have to deploy it situationally. Like if he's having a bad game, get him out of here. If he's not, keep him going. Um, and But always start him and have him in that vein because that way you are able to um, kind of do your best to maximize uh, the effectiveness of him and also keep uh, the culture okay among the team. Yeah, my problem is I just – like even if you look at a guy like Iverson, Iverson can still get his own shot. And Russ, unfortunately, can't do that, or at least not well enough. Same thing with Melo. Melo can still get into his bag and still get a decent shot off. May not be the same level, but he can still kind of do it, and he's still a good floor spacer. So for me, like, what does Russ do if he's going to run the second unit, for instance? One, do the Lakers have enough bench guys to actually, like, put together proper second unit that doesn't involve one of the bigs of Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan, or if at least if it does, maybe just one of them. I, I, please, I don't want to see both of them ever on the floor at the same time. If Kurt Rambis makes this happen, God damn it. I'm revoking all championships <laughs> that Kurt Rambis has. Honestly, I would I'd be, donate I, them to anyone else. I, I would be right there in line with you where that happened because that would be ridiculous. Just patently ridiculous. But honestly, I don't yeah, know. I like, just I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Russ is just such a weird player that it's kind of hard to like. I know earlier, like people kind of compared, thought like maybe this could be like the Dwayne Wade situation where Dwayne wasn't this elite floor spacer and he was a guy who needed the ball, but like Wade could still cut and do a lot of other things, and also Wade was a good defender. So he still brought values in other places. So for us, it's like either learn how to play off the ball, which unfortunately – I don't think he can. I don't think he will. I think it's too late for that. We have like years of evidence to say he can't. Yeah. So – Where are we? Where do you go from there? Is can you be a good defender? And I don't think – I think like if he's engaged, he has some moments, but he's not this – ball hawker he's, he's never going to be an elite defender but like can you at least be checked in and like not just let Karis LeBert drive by you 30 <laughs> times yeah knowing that that's the name of his game that's his mo honestly that would be a good target for the Lakers I'd like Karis LeBert like you know he doesn't totally fit as another guy who needs the ball and isn't a great shooter but in terms of more consistent offensive punch that would be someone I'd look at more yeah I mean I mean, I didn't mean to take away from your point. The Pacers think he's going to get them two first round picks. So uh, I don't know what universe that is. Maybe 2K. You can have two first round picks. I'll give you number 30 and number 29. (laughs) There you go. That's probably exactly what you're looking for. If you're, yeah, you said it. Like, that's exactly what you're looking for there. But yeah, the Lakers, they have things to figure out. Like, AD, if he comes back, like, he might solve some issues, but fundamentally, this is still a improperly put together team, and they can blame Vogel all they want. What are your alternatives? Because if you fire Vogel, 
Vogel's fine. He has his money, and he'll get a job somewhere else. Like, mm-hmm. at least Dallas will call him and just bring him <laughs> back with Jason Kidd. Because whatever Jason Kidd learned from Frank Vogel is working here. So Vogel will be fine. I'm not worried about him. But who are you going to hire? Are you going to hire Fisdale? You really want to go through that? You really don't want to do that. If, if the Knicks tenure didn't get that. Are you going to hire Ramis? Please don't. Mm-hmm. No, no. Honestly, I almost want to see that for just the hilarity of it all. But also knowing that you might as well put me into an asylum now. I don't know. You're right. Like, I just don't know where they go from here. I think that's what's the most frustrating part about it because they are stuck in a holding pattern. You're right. Bringing back AD will only paper over some of the, in, some of the issues. Um, and, and the funny thing about it is that it would only, the only issue that it really paper over would be the fact that um, the only issue would really paper over would be the fact that some of your backline defensive help would be there. You know what I mean? But yeah, aside maybe from you're that, not the 26th defense. Maybe you're the 24th or the 23rd. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Lakers are at this point. I I, I, bought, I stopped looking. Oh, I, I, I last I checked, it was the later 20s. But I, I don't want to give myself any more depression tonight. Actually, I'm a glutton for punch. Let me check right now and just see where they are. Um, Real-time radio here. Let me see because, yeah, I'm trying to remember now. And it's... Uh, here we go. So defensively, no, they actually climbed a little bit. Offensively, they slipped. They're the 24th in offensive rating. They're 18th in defensive rating. So back half of the pack for sure. Um, but yeah, that's where they're at. Just, just, uh, man, this is, this is rough. You want to move on to a more positive team? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's end on a high note. Let's do that. Miami Heat. Oh, the Lakers' next opponent on Sunday. Yes, good old Miami. Let's talk about it. What you got? Are you get? Are you ready to lose to Max Shrews and Gabe Vincent? Oh, where your <laughs> You know good and well that I am delusional. I think Lakers will pull it out, but if I were to lose, I could think of no one better than Max Shrews. Yeah. So what the hell is going on in Miami with all these role players? Like. Whoever is running their G League team or their player development needs to be getting a raise. Dude, I'm telling you, yeah, they have some of the best. Whatever they're doing there is amazing. Like Duncan Robinson is kind of expendable right now because Max Struess is better than him right at this point. And they just picked him up. He was on the Celtics at one point and they threw him away. And now Miami's like, hey, we can fix, we can fix you. You can be a good part of our culture. Caleb Barton barely got minutes on the Hornets. Goes to Miami. Fantastic player. Gabe Vincent gets some development and he's good. And I think this was a that last game was the first time they had Bam and Jimmy since like early December, mm-hmm. or late November. And Jimmy, when he comes back, is an MVP candidate. Bam is a solid defender and just a great player. Kyle Lowry, like this whole stretch should be like the advertisement for Kyle Lowry's Hall of Fame pitch should be just this. This stretch without Jimmy Butler, without Bam. He's just getting a bunch of guys to play well. And they're winning games like consistently. They're one of the best teams in the league. I think they could go on a real run the next couple of weeks with 
the uncertainty in Brooklyn about KD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's 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 very much in play, and you're right. Especially, I don't know. Let's go back to you mentioned Max and and, and Max Bruce and Duncan Robinson. Do you think Duncan will be moved and come to trade deadline? There's a lot of contracts to move, but do you think that Miami is even considering it? Because he has had a, a relatively down year, you know, coming uh, just off of, I guess, anyone's standards of what he'd be. I, is would he be allowed to? He just got extended, right? Oh, you're right. Well, but for, wait, you got extended, and um, yeah, did he get extended? Or was it just resigned? I can't remember, but I'm looking now. I think it might be resigned, but yeah, yeah, he signed a five year, ninety mil. Yeah, I, I mean that's a lot of money, but yeah, it's fifteen mil this year. 16 hikes up to 18 19 will be paid 19.831 i'm not gonna lie i can see this contract going uh the ray of a ryan anderson the other guys stopped this bird pond so i was thinking of- oh that's another one too like a guy whose skill set you paid for but then he immediately like regressed significantly in that skill set and being that that was one of the only things that he does it really made him expendable but also very expensive because of what he is i mean He's shooting 35% from three. Not bad, but it's been four or six from three, eight of 16 from three, three of 10 from three, 0 of two, 0 of eight, two of five, three of eight, five of 10. It's all over. It's all over. Um, mind you, for his career, the dude's a 40% three-point shooter. This would be the worst. He's 34%, sorry, dipped after uh, tonight's loss uh, against the Hawks, or last night's loss by the time whenever I hear this. But basically... Um, it dipped to 34% or eight threes a game. So he's taking the most threes of his career next to last season, but he's shooting at a, at a clip just as low as his rookie season when he shot 28%, albeit on very limited attempts. He was 10 of 35 that year. So he's just not been that guy. And like, that's his real only purpose. Unfortunately, like he's not doing a whole lot else. There's 11 points three boards and one assist, like one and a half assist a game. Like if you're not getting spacing and consistent scoring from him on the outside of the release valve, you're really not getting anything from Duncan Robinson. I mean, a 6.6% rebound percentage, 7.7% assist percentage. Like there's nothing there, y'all. Like absolutely nothing, especially for 83% three-point attempt rate. Like, come on, man. There, There has to be better. It just has to be more provided for the amount of capital Miami's forking over than what they're getting for Robinson. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that Duncan will turn around at some point, but in general, this team, just the way they play, like Spolster just gets guys who could pass, dribble, or shoot. Yeah, and so well. in their system where it's just people swirling around handoffs and cutting all the time, it's, it's, it's similar to the Warriors where, like, you don't have to run a lot of uh, traditionally, like, skilled players mm-hmm. as long as you have guys who just know how to cut and come around screens, play uh, dribble handoffs, and drive and kick. And you can just run a lot. It's It sounds more complex, but it's really just a simple offense because people are just kind of doing common sense stuff, just moving. And you don't need to be an elite player to do that. So you can live with Max Strews, Omar Yurtsevin, and just guys who are not like elite players and not your traditional role players, but with the Miami system, they can just play well. 
Yeah, they can make it work. That is for sure. That is for sure. Um, that's, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's another topic for another day between development and which teams do the best job of getting um, getting players kind of off the scrap heap and making them into like really serviceable NBA players. I was talking about that with the friend, even with the Lakers. Like you look at some of the guys that they've had, you know, either drafted late in the second round, like Kyle Kuzma or undrafted altogether, like Alex Caruso. And yes, you have to give credit to the players for putting the work in and becoming those players, but also to the Lakers for having that eye to the town. Look at Austin Reeves right now for the Lakers. You know what I mean? Like look at what they've been doing there. That is, you know, like, like you said, it just works. It works. It, it lends itself well to that, you know? They're going to trade away Austin Reeves next year, though, right before uh, his contract. They're going to find a way to trade Austin Reeves right before his contract. Spires. Dude, I'm telling They'll you. find I, a way. Don't do that to me, dude. Don't do that to me. Uh, you're probably not lying, especially if Rob Link is at the helm, but that's what that's what's going to make it worse. Don't don't say that. Oh, my gosh. You got to give me some hope. But going yeah, back like to Miami. First team, huh? team up there in terms of development, there's a lot of solid teams. Memphis is one. Toronto is obviously, like, gold standard with Miami. But, yeah, uh, I'm curious, like, if you had to do a coach of the year bat, like, who would be your top three right now? Hmm. If I had to do one right now, I mean, obviously, you can't really go too far without looking at the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Yeah. So if you're looking at them, you're, you're definitely – um, giving some love to Hillary, Taylor Jenkins. So he would have to be one. Um, Amante Williams is up there as well. I mean, look at what he's done again. His continued improvement with these Phoenix Suns and the way they are where they are. Fine. After that, it's crazy to think because I'm not really high on this guy historically, but I, I think you have to look at J.B. Bickerstaff. Yep. So I look at those three first and foremost. Um, those would be my guys. Okay. Yeah, because I think like there was a period a while back where there were just a lot of bad coaches. But yeah. There's a lot of good coaches in the NBA right now. Like I would have those three. Um, some other guys that definitely deserve a shout out, like Billy Donovan with Chicago. He's having them play college basketball and they're just having fun out there. Um, Eric Spolster just always has to be up there just because like he's pulling off random lineups that just work and he's getting everyone to buy in so there's a lot of really good coaches out there and Franco Vogel gets fired he can go be an assistant somewhere else or maybe some new young coach gets a chance but mm-hmm. I hope Vogel doesn't get fired like the Lakers need to I hope so out. he doesn't deserve it he really doesn't deserve it, to be honest with you it'd be beyond unfortunate um but also i just feel it coming and i'm, I'm already getting mad anticipation of it already yeah. getting mad anticipation of it but um yeah i mean i think we had a good conversation shout out to miami we got to get back to that positive note shout out to miami we gave gave him some love um you know looking at the way they've improved um definitely looking at the lakers to hopefully do something better than what they've done as of now uh, i don't think we either of us have the hope that they're going to do it but i mean it's definitely something that we can look at denver please change it up a little bit here um boston same thing but yeah anything else you want to have before we do this again next week no i think i'm good for now um yeah this is it's a fun structure basketball to look at there's been a lot of really good games um 
Memphis is obviously just a fun team to watch. That moment with Tony Bradley and Steven Adams was just absolutely perfect. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. I like the fact that John was acting all fake tough afterwards, but like, give love to Steven Adams for being like the cuddly bear that you absolutely want no parts of. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been CJ McCollum or Dane, but there was a back when he was on Thunder. Uh, there's like a whole compilation on YouTube of Steven Adams just like nailing guys with hard screens and then like passing out. There was one against Pat Bev a while back, one against Dane, but can't remember what happened, but he hit someone with a hard screen. It was either Dame or CJ, and they walk up to Steven Adams ready to yell at him, and he just turns and looks at them, and they walk away. Like, Steven Adams is not the guy you want to mess with. So Tony no. Bradley, like, he makes you look like a child. Tony Bradley's not a small guy. He's, He's 6'10", right? pretty big. Yeah. He's 6'10", and he made him look like he was just a little kid. And I think it was funny. Jaron Jackson Jr. said afterwards that he's been in that situation before, and it's exactly as it's described. Like, like, yeah. like he said, like, Adams, you really feel helpless. Like, Steven Adams, to me, feels like he was on that great and grind team, even though he wasn't. Like, he yes. was such a good person just to be on that team. He's like a spiritual he- successor. Which is funny because Zemo punched him in the face. That one year in the playoffs. <laughs> the guy who was the catalyst of all that, exactly. And the reason why they even lost that year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's funny to think about. But, yeah, man, this is another fun one. I appreciate having this time to just talk shop with you in the NBA. Like you said, a lot of interesting basketball. Uh, only more to talk about as the trade market heats up um, down the stretch here. And we also see more um, about these players. And, and like you said, but we're getting kind of the zenith of good basketball um, in between wrestling players and you know, positioning for the playoffs and the play-in and, you know, getting past the dog days of the opening night of the season, opening months of the season. Now we're in the thick of it for sure. And um, I'm looking forward to more fun conversation with you on this. Yes, I always have to be here. Hopefully uh, we'll get another big trade, like a bull bull trade of the century. Oh yeah. That cannot be that. That absolutely cannot be the, the end all be all for us here. Like I, I refuse that. I refuse having that be our, um, our lasting, our lasting walk away of, of the trade deadline of the trademark. Remember that big, um, <laughs> that really crazy um, bull bull trade that really set the tone for you know, really set the tone for for how trades are going to be. No, no, thank you. And then the one that got canceled, and then Breed got moved again later. Exactly, another one. You said it. So, so that's not at all what I'm not at all what I'm looking for there, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, aside from that, man. If you uh, have to pick a guy who's most likely to get traded in this deadline, who would it be? If I had to pick one that's most likely to what? I'm sorry? Most likely to be moved at this deadline, who would it be? Has to be Jeremy Grant, right? Jeremy Grant? It has to be. I think that I mean Detroit's trying to. If I had to get someone who who like has to be moved, I look at all these other teams and I could see them still being there. You know what I mean? Like I could see them still. I can see nothing shaking on that. I, I look at Jeremy Grant. I look at the noise that's been around about that, and I just see a move, like, having to be made. I don't know if right, I'm crazy for sense. that, but, like, I just thought there's been too much smoke around him, and honestly, if he's the only one that's moved, I see it. Like, all these other teams, it kind of feels like 
they can be moved, but won't necessarily be moved. Like we've seen this dance with Sacramento before. You know what I mean? With Harrison Barnes, with Buddy Hill. So the fact that now we're throwing both of them around, okay, great. Philadelphia has been too long already of the season here and about this. I don't know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I really think they should. Having a game where Joel B puts up 40 points and you only get 17 points combined from your bench and lose after leading by 22, you know, that's pretty rough. Like, you know, changes need to be made. Um, additions need to be, you know, added to this team. But I don't know if Darren Moore does it since he's still obsessed with trying to win the trade. So I look at Philadelphia as a team that could make a move but might not. Atlanta, maybe they end up saying that, hey, we made the move for um, getting Kevin Knox and getting rid of um, Cam Reddish. That was addition by subtraction, so we made our move. Maybe they look at it that way. I think it'd be wrong, but I could see all these teams right now that we look at as buyers not doing anything. And all the teams that could potentially be sellers decided to, to stay home rather than give up their you know prized uh, assets for a meager return. I could look at the Lakers who want to make a move under everything in the sun, but just don't have the assets to do it. We saw them with Cam Reddish trying to offer two seconds. I could see them going to any team and just having the lowest offer and not winning, you know? So I, I guess like a narrow down. Uh, hmm? They offered Tucker and Kendrick not a first round pick for Jeremy Grant. I mean, but yeah, but I mean, I think everyone knows that's like a laughable offer, right? Oh, yeah. I think the guy that's most likely to get moved is probably Eric Gordon just because it's an easier move than Jeremy Grant. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant still wants to be like this offensive hub on whatever team goes to. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't either. And the Lakers are, are, are big about making these promises for these players who want to have these outsized roles and, and putting them there to the detriment of everyone else. You bring, I mean, look at what they said about um, Andre Drummond. Drummond. One to start. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, forget the fact that we haven't had a horrible time, you know, starting um, um, Mark Gasol. Forget the fact that he's probably a better fit. Like, we're you're right. We're just going to do it. You know, I, I just I don't I don't understand. I can see the Lakers making that promise. Only promise that Jeremy Grant's not going to be a buyout guy. Like, I highly doubt that. Okay, did you just see Steph's buzzer meter? I did. I did. That was pretty dope. That was pretty dope. The step back, uh, long two over um, over Kevin Porter Jr. That was pretty solid. Yeah, I'll give I'll give credit to that. That was that was one that was pretty dope. But um, but yeah, man. I, I think like I said, we're gonna have to talk. We'll, like I said, next week we'll probably talk about the Lake Warriors. I was hoping they lost this game. It'd been a fun story to talk about how there's something um after losing to Wait, both the Pacers and Rockets. Buzzer beater. Whoa, really? You know what? He's had a lot of like lit game, really solid daggers, but I yeah, don't no, him winning one at the buzzer. No, you're right. He hasn't. I keep looking at that, that, um, that OKC game. There was still time on the clock. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Like, nothing comes to mind as a buzzer reader for Steph Curry. Wow. I mean, as buzzer beaters go, this one's pretty mundane, but at least you have one. And also, to be fair, it's not like he doesn't have so much more to be, you know, so much more that his highlight reels for everything would be would be crazy. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, that's crazy that you're right. That is the first that's the first one. Wow. Well, there you go. Uh, the more you know, the more you know. I was I'm shocked by that, but also like that's interesting. That is interesting. But listen, y'all, Anirudh, thank you again, man, for hopping on here. 
I do appreciate you as always. Listen, y'all, you know where to find on the route. It's an exclusive deal with Round Ball Ramble. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can find him though um, on this pod. Uh, I got to have you on Let's Make Moves, talk some more trade deadline front office centric stuff. Um, but we get a little bit of everything as always. So we'll definitely make that happen, bro. But again, thank you for your time. A lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Happy to be here. Definitely, man. Uh, you can find me y'all on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Check out Sports Ethos, like I say, on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. Pretty simple, really effective. You'll enjoy everything that's there to be had. Um, don't miss up an opportunity there, especially as the trade deadline comes from fantasy perspective, from general NBA perspective, uh, from the mock trade deadline that we have going on over there um, with the Bird Rights podcast and um, the cool people that are involved in that, even myself desperately trying to make moves. Uh, and I'm, I, if you guys had noticed me bringing up Taylor Horn Tucker, um, Kendrick Nunn, and the first-round pick, the reason I said it so many times because I am actually in charge of the Lakers for this mock trade deadline, and I have been floating that out to everyone to no avail. So um, there is maybe just a little bit of bitterness in my conversation involving the Lakers and their trade haul. But all that being said, definitely make sure to check out Sports Ethos and get on board with all of that um aside from that y'all please make sure again rate review subscribe definitely appreciate that want to get better need the feedback to do so it would really be huge for me aside from that remember that hoop ball code for manscaped hoop ball 20 h-o-o-p-b-a-l-l-2-0 to get 20 percent off plus free shipping on your purchase at manscaped.com but listen y'all, i've been rambling for quite a minute so i'm gonna let y'all go for honor rude for myself we are frosty y'all stay frosty and i will talk to y'all real real soon Alright, y'all.